early detection with ultrasound is really, really important. Do not wait until your, your calves have clinical signs of disease because you will be too late. back everyone to the Dairy Science Digest. This is a podcast designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. I'm Reagan Bluel from the University of Missouri Dairy Team and today we're discussing clinical and subclinical pneumonia in your dairy calves and we've experienced that lunger calf and we all know that that's a, a challenge and so today we're going to be talking with Stan Jukan, a calf researcher from Belgium, is here today to help us better understand understand the key details around this topic. He co-authored a featured article this month named The Dynamics of Subclinical Pneumonia in Male Dairy Calves in Relation to Antimicrobial Therapy and Production Outcomes, which of course is an article in press of the Journal of Dairy Science. So welcome to Dairy Science Digest, Stan. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Stan. I'm a bovine veterinarian and PhD candidate at Ghent University in Belgium. And my PhD research actually focuses on the practical application of quick thoracic ultrasound or lung ultrasonography to rationalize antimicrobial use in uh, in our dairy calves and veal calves alike. Very good. And, and so we know that bovine respiratory disease, or sometimes we just call it BRD, it's a it's a major issue with productivity and profitability of that calf phase of the farm operation. And this particular project that we'll be discussing today took place on a veal operation in Belgium. However, I really believe that it can be transposed to any calf ranch or dairy beef facility. And additionally, there's gonna be some key takeaways that are applicable to any dairy farm raising their calves. So you studied 295 bull calves and they arrived at this facility in three separate batches, but it was all within within a week. And they were right around that two to three week old stage, around that 100 pound mark. Could you tell me a little bit more about what, what made you interested in investigating this topic? Well, the setup was actually to see, uh, we know that BRD is, is a major cause of, of problems of morbidity, of economical losses and antimicrobial use in all our calves, but especially in this, in these field calves facilities in Belgium, it's a major problem. What we don't know is because as of today or before today, actually all research was done on BRD. In this, in this study, we wanted to see actually what happens on the dynamics of the consolidations that we see on the thoracic ultrasound. So actually on pneumonia that we see with lung ultrasonography in these calves, what is it upon arrival and how does it change over the course of a production period? So the consolidation of the lung tissue. So is it, that means that it's the lung itself is kind of collapsing upon itself. And you were able to assess this doing a, a very specific procedure. Could you describe the, the procedure that helped you observe lung consolidation? Yes, well, so the, the lung ultrasound is something that has been around for quite a few years now. Uh, the problem is that it takes quite a long time to perform. So what, what we see is actually when you put your, your ultrasound probe to the thorax of the calf, make contact, you can see all these horizontal lines which indicate that there is air inside the lung. Now, when an infection of the lung tissue occurs, this air is actually gone. So instead of aerated lung tissue, you get your pleural line or your lung surface area that's disrupted. And over there, there is a, a consolidated area. We, we call it consolidated because there's no air in it left. And there you can see the white spots, which actually indicate 
that there is an active infection going on in that spot. The nice thing about it is that next to the fact that we can detect pneumonia very accurately is also that we can assess severity of disease based on the lesion size and how many lung lobes the lesions are present. Mm -hmm. As I said before, it, take, it took a long time to perform. But at our, our clinic, um, my professor, Bart Pardon, actually created a technique that allows us to actually perform the, the scanning of the entire lungs of a calf within one to two minutes, just using wow. regular alcohol. But on top of that, the nice thing about it is that we don't need the expensive materials. Mm -hmm. The technique that we use on these young calves is actually perfectly feasible to perform with the, the standard small ultrasound machines that are generally used for pregnancy checks in cows, actually. So... Same equipment, but a new application. That's basically what we did. That's fantastic. And so in addition to doing the ultrasound scan of the lung tissue, you also did some clinical scoring. Could you talk a little bit about the UC Davis assessment? So in this case, because we, we had to scan all the calls while we were there, we also performed the clinical examination as is, as is described in the UC Davis score charts. So we looked at nasal discharge, ocular discharge, whether they had ear flick or head tilt, which is associated with uh, mycoplasma bovis infections. Uh, we checked the rect rectal temperature and we checked the respiratory rate was elevated. For all these calls, we then determined whether they would be considered BRD positive or just had clinical symptoms, clinical signs of disease. And then we compared that to our ultrasonographic findings. So basically what that means is if you combine these two, um, you get a nice sense of what's going on in, in your herd because you get four categories. Mm -hmm. The easy ones, of course, are the healthy ones that, that are animals that have no clinical signs of BRD and also have perfectly healthy lung tissue and ultrasound. Yeah. You have the clinical ones that actually have clinical signs of BRD and also have these consolidations or lung lesions on thoracic ultrasound. But then the interesting part is where we actually found that there are also animals that were coughing, that had elevated temperatures, that had nasal discharge, whatever. They had a positive score on the, the California Davis scorecard, mm -hmm. but we didn't find any lesions on thoracic ultrasounds, mm. which we call then actually an upper respiratory tract infection or inflammation, which doesn't actually require antimicrobials. Yeah. On the other hand, what is, what is the most interesting finding, I think, is that the great majority of animals who had pneumonia on ultrasound, so had these consolidations where we could clearly see that there was an infection present, mm -hmm. actually had no or almost no clinical signs of respiratory disease. That's just absolutely incredible to me. When I was reading your your article, it was talking about what percentage was it? It was 69.1% had, had pneumonia type lesions in their lungs, but then didn't show that through the UC Davis uh, scoring card that's something what do you what do you take of that well it's it's something that that to be honest we we actually quite suspected within our with our research group uh but now it was our chance to to actually prove it it's just in our beliefs animals especially calves they're they're prey animals so when you're in the wild and you're showing signs of weaknesses the wolves will get you so mm. basically what that means is that these calves have been trained by evolution to not show any signs of clinical disease or weakness Mm -hmm. And that, that said, it's almost like as they, they hide it from you, mm -hmm. but then with the ultrasound, it's, it's actually a method. They, they cannot no longer hide it. So we find a lot of more the, of these consolidations that actually indicate, and as the paper also showed, these lesions are actually linked or associated with production losses. Absolutely. Which means that these, the, the growth and welfare of the calves actually is affected by these lesions and not by 
or less by the, the presence of clinical science. So let's talk a little bit about the production side of things. So these animals, they they were received at about two weeks of age, and then they were housed individually and were fed about two liters twice a day or 500 grams of solids in addition to, to some grain. So at, at what age did they go from individual pens to grouping strategy of five to six calves? Well, the way the, the facilities are set up is, is they all arrive. They're all in one shared airspace. The, the housing is called individual, but actually what it means is that all calves are just standing next to each other, separated by these wire fences, mm -hmm. and they can all have direct contact with their neighbors, but also with the calves behind them. And then after six weeks, about six weeks, these, these wire fences are removed. But that actually just means that instead of groups of one animal, there are groups of six, but they still are in the same area. The area just gets a bit bigger, a bit bigger, and they get commingled with the, the six calves that are in the same pen. So disease transfer sounds like it can certainly happen aerial or nose to nose, or there's lots of opportunity to contaminate. Could you talk us through what were some observations of outbreaks that you saw in your project? Well, in Belgium, the way it works is actually these calves, they come from a lot of different dairy farms. So it means that once a stable is filled with 295 or 300 calves, it means that there are calves from many different farms present, which also means that there are pathogens from a lot of different farms brought together in one single shared airspace with calves that are practically yeah, next to each other. So nose to nose contact really uh, rapidly go, brings forward uh, spread of disease. Mm -hmm. The trial was performed in winter, which we also know is a, a great risk factor for having uh, the BRSV virus infection. And that together with the finding that I think it's in Belgium, it's it's certainly the case, but I believe that it'd be true in, in, in all beef and dairy, dairy farm facilities. About one third of every commercial dairy farm in Belgium has mycoplasma bovis infections. Mm. So if you commingle calves from about 100 different farms, you're about 100 100% sure you will get the microbiome. <laughs> you're going to find it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we actually found that in in the first week after arrival disease is actually spread very rapidly. Mm -hmm. We found the BRSV virus and also Mycoplasma bovis as primary pathogens which we believe that they have a, a synergistic effect and actually is mm -hmm. the the main cause of this primary outbreak. The therapy effects that we saw were actually quite poor, only around 50%. In this study, we found that evidence that there was resistance against the use of antimicrobials. But if we look at different veal stables in Belgium, we actually find that this first antimicrobial treatment, when there is a mixed viral and mycoplasma bovis infection, actually are always around 50%, which is really poor, considering that mm -hmm. all these animals are treated for quite some time with antimicrobials. Mm -hmm. So what's your vaccination program when they're received? Do you have any specific standard operating procedure for receipt well that's that's another thing in belgium is that there uh, there currently is no vaccination protocol so uh, one of the main problems is that these calves they come from the dairy farm of, of origin where we know that they are sometimes treated a bit less than the the heifer calves or the, the female calves and then they arrive already quite stressed maybe a bit underfed and a lot of them have actually a failure of passive transfer and then there is no vaccination. I'm surprised that it's not standard procedure or practice to to just give everything upon receipt intranasal. Enforce is is the trade name here. Is that not common there? 
as I said, they these calls arrival from they, they come from all different farms. They get to one center where they are all commingled, and then they get sent to these farms. So they arrive in this time three batches. But these are calves that have not been fed for maybe 24 hours. They are highly stressed, uh, stressed a lot of times. They're underweight. They have failure of path transfer. So their immune system is really nothing by the time they arrive. So if you vaccinate it at, vaccinate at that time, there, there's no effect. So in this open air barn where you have nose to nose contact and lots of opportunity for the spread of disease, you were monitoring the lung status with ultrasound while the, the local veterinarian was monitoring clinical symptoms. So can you speak a little bit to what were your observations versus his observations at peak disease? Well, also that was was quite interesting and quite a bit of an eye opener to see is is we know that that these local vets or our Belgian vets tend to start antimicrobial treatment as soon as in between ten or fifteen percent of the animals start showing clear signs of respiratory disease, uh, which was also the case in, in in this outbreak as as you might have read in the paper. Um, at the time of outbreak of respiratory disease, about eleven or twelve percent of the animals had clinical BRD. Mm -hmm. uh, which means clinical signs of pneumonia. But at that time, actually 40 to almost half of the calves already had clear consolidation. Wow. So uh, had pneumonia on ultrasound, which is quite astounding. That's an see. incredible, it's a, it's a, let's pause. Let's re-say that uh, one more time. So clinically, that vet was observing 11.6% of clinical symptoms. Whereas when you were doing your scans, nearly half half of the herd had these consolidations. And so they're they're fighting an uphill battle once they start those antimicrobials. And that, that could certainly limit, limit the response to effective treatment. Okay, so when you were talking about the, the outbreak and what you were observing with your mycoplasm and, and your BRSV, so you've got a virus and you've got a bacteria, how did you determine what the what the disease was, what procedure did you use? We used the, the non-endoscopic bronchoalveolar lavage. It's a difficult word, but it actually just means that we, we put a sterile tube through the nose of the calf into the, the, the trachea, into the lungs. And there we put in some fluids mm -hmm. and we aspirate them back. And then that fluid, we actually did some uh, nanopore sequencing on to identify mm -hmm. mycoplasma bovis and all viruses involved. It's a quite a new technique that's that's based on the, the genome that's found in the samples. And we also did standardized culture for both all pastorella sea, so your pastorella multosida, manhemia hemolytica. Uh, and then we also plated them separately for mycoplasma bovis to identify like all pathogens that could be involved at that time. How in the world do you inject liquid into the lungs of animals to lavage without killing them? Well, I'd, I'm too ignorant of all of that. That's something that we are actually also testing. It's, it's, it's now been in practice for quite some years in Belgium. Uh, and what we actually found is that if you inject, I think it's 1.5 cc's of fluids per kilogram. If you inject that, it actually, the, the, the fluid that you cannot get back, it just resorbs in the, in the lung tissue. And it's actually not a problem. We've never had any animal that had any effects from it. Like huh. right after they might be a little dizzy, but, but right. it's actually no problem. Uh, but we do find, we are actually also testing the, the stress it has on the calves. So we, we had uh, stress monitors strapped to 15 calves 
And we tested four methods, just like the nasal swab, then the transtracheal lavage, where you actually poke a hole into the, mm. the tracheal tube and put mm -hmm. it through the lungs, which is more, uh, should be more painful. And then the normal mm -hmm. lavage, and then just uh, fixating the animal. And we actually, up until, up until this point, we have found no differences in, in the stress that the oh. animals actually get from it. So it's wow. really nice because to get a, a clear sample of what's going on in your lung tissue, you actually need to get the fluids into the lungs. Out. Into yeah, the right. Yeah. If you just take a nasal swab and you get, get for example, pastoralacea, it's, it's actually, it's always in there. So right. I'm not quite sure that's causing the problem. Hmm. And that helped guide treatment decisions to determine if we can get them cured. So could you talk a little bit about those consolidated lung calves and their likelihood of becoming your your chronic or what I like to call the the lunger and the likelihood of them being your chronic calf that would persist as a, a poor doer? Yeah, uh, sure. Well, that was the first interesting thing that we found is, is that if these animals are cured, that they actually were able to, to make up for their losses in production. Where the animals that did not cure or had a chronic pneumonia were the ones that actually had a way reduced daily growth, but also a reduced carpus weight. An interesting finding was that these animals that arrived with consolidations, which was actually almost one in five calls, it was about 18% of the herd already arrived with these mm -hmm. consolidations, so a pneumonia upon arrival, that these calls actually had a four times higher odds or chance to, to develop this chronic pneumonia and to result in these lower carcass weights. And if, if we know that about 15% of the animals become chronic, and that this chronic pneumonia actually means that your carcass weights drops by about 10 kilograms, mm -hmm. that's quite a substantial number in the big herds of, of, of calves. Absolutely. You bet. And I didn't see any reported death loss. Could you speak to death loss in these chronic animals? Well, that's that's a thing that we actually see quite a lot, not only in veal calves, but also in, in our dairy and even our beef farms. Um, mm -hmm. These animals that get mycoplasma bovis infections, so I'm, I'm speaking specifically about, about those infections, they become chronic. And you can see that these animals become poor growers. They give less milk. They get into lactation later than other, than other animals. They, their insemination rates are, are poorer, etc. Mm -hmm. But what we actually not often see is that they actually perish or that they die. Mm -hmm. But they do keep on being uh, an economic problem. And also... Ineffective. Keep, yeah. yeah. And they also <laughs> keep spreading disease within the herd. So they're really animals that you should should consider just removing from the herds. These animals might not succumb to their, their infection, but they just be, remain clinic, chronically ill. And that's causing, yeah. causing way more problems than, the, than they should. Economic impact for sure. So just to reiterate, I don't know if you guys all heard Stan say that lunger's never gonna do right. Uh, yep. And so regardless of her genetic disposition, please consider strongly just cutting your losses early on. Um, very good. So I also thought it was interesting to look at the average daily gains for sake of my American listeners here, looking at those that had pneumonia, had a loss of average daily gain of 0.18 pounds per day. And then your uncured versus cured pneumonia. Now recall he was saying that your cured pneumonia had the same average daily gain as those that never had pneumonia, but those that never cured on average had a quarter of a pound less average daily gain per day. They're just a weight on your economic, they're consuming the inputs, they're eating all the milk and the grain that, that you're feeding them, but they're just not performing. So I found that very interesting.
So if we have any veal producers listening in, would you recommend utilizing this ultrasound upon arrival? Well, of course, it's since it's uh, basically my research topic, I was always <laughs> say yes. Uh, but but still, uh, because now this this is one study, but we've done now we've been doing follow ups of of different veal production cycles, and we're trying to figure out some interesting occasions or interesting periods in in the production cycle where the lung ultrasound can be very useful. And I believe that on arrival is actually one of the more useful ones because it has a lot of practical implications when you are able to see the animals that are already have a pneumonia, which is largely mm -hmm. subclinical. So you cannot uh, select them based on, on appearance. Mm -hmm. You can actually maybe manage these calls differently than the other calls. You can maybe group them or isolate them and give them already a, a targeted treatment instead of waiting for disease spread in the first week and having to treat all the animals. Right. We might be able to only treat these animals upon arrival. I would suggest per injection because that's always better in my opinion to, to work per injection than through oral feed. Mm -hmm. um, right. It might on the one hand help reduce the spread of disease and on the other hand it might prevent these skulls from becoming chronic because I think the longer they have pneumonia the less likely they are to become cured. I think you brought up a really important detail that injecting the treatment has likely a, a stronger effect than doing it orally in that, you know, those poor doers just tend to consume less milk. And so you've got this unreliable amount of consumption of antimicrobial. And so your, your response rate might be, might be less. To expand a little bit on the ultrasound, how hard is it to, to learn this skill? Well, uh, it depends in Belgium, our research. We try to focus on Belgian bovine practitioners. So we actually have now 40 practicing vets that trained with us, that followed an online course and then took some, some exercising, some training exercises, and then actually did an exam. And results are quite variable. We have some applicants that are just amazing without practice. Uh, so they reach really high accuracies and sensitivities and specificities just practicing. But what we do see is that in general, the participants that have trained more tend to be better. We gave them about six months to learn it and the results are quite high. So we are now checking the, well, the inter-observer agreement and it's quite mm -hmm. high. So we know that when you compare ultrasound to, for example, auscultation, that mm -hmm. the inter-observer agreement is way better when using ultrasound than when using auscultation. So it's a very reliable tool. I think it's a great, great idea and a great tool to use in our, in our toolbox to help manage different outbreaks. If you were to speak to any dairyman listening that might be considering veal production to diversify their income, so they're going to be doing it on site, utilizing their bull calves, are there any overarching thoughts or comments that you'd like to, to share to that population? Well, in general, what we like to, to promote is actually a, always use a step-by-step -step approach. What do I mean by that? It's actually look at your herd in three steps. Step one is early detection. We now know that clinical signs of disease are actually not good, not reliable enough to detect pneumonia. Then you come to the second step, which is actually the mapping of the problem. And that's where our thoracic ultrasound comes into play. We can use it actually to really accurately detect where the problem starts and how severe they are. And based on that, you can already set up treatments or uh, biosecurity measures based on the, the groups that are affected the most. And then third, we always use diagnostics. It's maybe a Belgian thing to do, but we're really fond of knowing what we're battling. Sure. Because in a lot yeah. of cases, for example, the, the mycoplasma hurts. We also see it in a lot of dairy farms. 
when you want to put in new measurement to control respiratory disease, a lot of farmers will, will start buying expensive ventilations or set up expensive new tools. Mm -hmm. But actually, when you have a mycoplasma infection, direct contact in between calves is one of the main things to take into account. So putting up a new ventilator Isn't won't help. help. Yeah, won't do the trick. So that's that's one of the reasons why we always want to know what we're dealing with. And then based on the results, you can always redirect your treatment decisions. So that's the way we try to perform our, our management. There's just nothing worse than having a, a disease going your herd and, and making changes that you think you're you're going to be heading in the right direction and then it just doesn't work and so that just reiterates the importance of uh, knowledge is power and knowing what you're fighting and, and working with your herd veterinarian to ensure that your antimicrobial approach is is the right one in combination with the environment so is there any additional thoughts that you would like to share share with our dairymen mm, well if i say one more thing mm -hmm. i think one important thing is what we do find is that these, these, as I said, the early detection, the cough is important, but also early detection with ultrasound is really, really important. Do not wait until your, your calves have clinical signs of disease because you will be too late. Well, Stan, this has been very informative and I want to thank you for your time and, and listeners, I applaud you for taking time out of your day today to learn more about pneumonia in your calves. I've really enjoyed our conversation. This has been the November edition of the Dairy Science Digest, which is a monthly podcast designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to your ears. We highlight peer-reviewed research articles and press. This is sound science to base your management decisions around provided by your University of Missouri dairy team. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future additions straight to your cell phone. This is Reagan Bluell with the Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day.